am I? How tough am I? I had a bowl of nails for breakfast this morning. <laughs> yes, so? Without any milk. Hello, Nailers fans, and welcome inside of the second ever edition of The Toolbox. The Toolbox being the weekly podcast keeping you in tune on everything Wheeling Nailers and inside the hockey world. Today is a big show as we will be joined later on by two different guests. First, we will be joined by the voice of the Idaho Steelheads, Brian McCormick, and then later on, a former Nailer player, now a forward for the Toledo Walleye in Christian Hilbrick. But first things first, news, and we have some news to break today. You may have seen it on our social media channels. The Wheeling Nailers have announced the date and opponent for their 2018-19 home opener. And this year, the home opener will be a little bit later than it's been in previous years. There are some events going on at West Banco Arena in the month of October. So, the home opener for 18-19 will be on Saturday, November 3rd, when the Nailers take on one of their new rivals from the Central Division, that being the Indy Fuel. So Indy will be the first home opponent in 1819. Again, that game will take place on Saturday, November 3rd. So you can get those countdowns ready and look forward to the opening night at home for the 27th season of hockey here in Wheeling. Checking in on our affiliates, the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins and the Pittsburgh Penguins, who are both playing in their playoffs as we speak. The Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins are trailing in their series against the Charlotte Checkers, two games to none, and the Pittsburgh Penguins are beginning a second-round series against the Washington Capitals after knocking off the Philadelphia Flyers in six games. And while the affiliates are certainly our focus, we also don't want to forget the other teams who still have former Nailers who are competing for championships. One other team is that case in the National Hockey League as Nashville Predators head coach Peter LaViolette leads his team into a second round series against the Winnipeg Jets. There are now five teams remaining in the ECHL with former Nailers on them, Adirondack, Florida, Fort Wayne, Orlando, and Toledo, as well as a slew of teams in the American Hockey League. One of the most notable series that has taken place so far in the first round of the playoffs at any level is the work done by the Idaho Steelheads in the ECHL. As Idaho recently came from behind, they trailed the Allen Americans three games to none and were able to rally back and win games four and five down in Texas and then games six and seven up in Boise, becoming just the second team in ECHL history. That's a 30-year history, oh, by the way, to come back from a 3-0 deficit and win a best-of-seven series. The only other team that did that was the 2010 Cincinnati Cyclones, who came back from 3-0 down to beat the Reading Royals in seven games. And there was a former nailer on that Cincinnati team, Doug Krantz was a part of that club. Krantz played in Wheeling the year before in 2008-2009 before moving on to the Cyclones in 09-10. And that was the conference final round that Cincinnati beat Reading en route to a Kelly Cup championship as they were the winners of the following round. Speaking of that comeback by the Idaho Steelheads, we now bring in their radio broadcaster who, real neat opportunity, got to call his first ever playoff series win this way by erasing the 3-0 deficit with the Game 7 win over Allen. It's Brian McCormick, and Brian, has it all sunk in yet, just the experience of erasing 3-0 and winning the series in Game 7? 
You know, it probably hasn't sunk in entirely, but the funny thing is is that when you spend an entire week with every single day being a do-or-die situation, and uh, the, the, I'm sure the players can speak to this a lot more uh, vividly than I can, but when you live in that scenario, you really never look more than a day in advance. You're just kind of trying to live for the moment and soak in each and every game. And uh, when you win four in a row, I mean, we're, we're the second team in ECHL history to pull off a comeback from 3 nothing down, but it almost seems expected by the time you get to the end of it. There's a very different feeling internally between Game 4 and Game 7. By Game 7, you've won three in a row, and you almost expect that uh, God wouldn't let you get to this point and not finish it off. So uh, I, I think for, for the team, the guys, uh, they haven't felt any more confident than they feel right now. Uh, they expected to win last night. They, they did so pretty handily against a very good Allen Americans team. Um, and personally, and this is just me speaking, I think the Steelers going into this series against the Colorado Eagles, having one in seven games, regardless of how they did it, having one in seven games probably has them more battle-tested and better prepared for Colorado than if they'd won in five and uh, been sitting around for a few days. You touched on the difference in the mentalities from Game 4 to Game 7. Can you go into a little bit more depth in that? I mean, Game 4, you even faced a deficit. You fell behind, and you were down until, what, late in the second period? And just you probably don't even think that you're going to come back and win. You Obviously, you hope, and you're always positive. But just how that goes game by game, and when maybe you realized, holy smokes, this might actually happen. Yeah, well, you know, I asked a couple of players, and I got I didn't get the same response from each one, which is understandable. You have 20 guys, you're not going to get a uniform mentality because as much as you have a team mindset and a team mantra, you know, we all think for ourselves. And I said for, for Tommy Thompson, after the Steelers won game four, I said, does that allow you to go into game five a little bit more relaxed? Not that it's any less dire, but a little bit more calm and, and a little more pep in your step. He says, nope, same as yesterday. We can be done by the end of the night, so we have to be desperate. We have to be... Uh, playing like there's no tomorrow. And then I asked Steve McFarlane the same question, and he said, of course, yes, still desperate, still do or die. But we won a game last night, and we did it by executing our game plan. So, yes, we can feel better about ourselves. We can feel more comfortable, more confident than we did in game four and game five. And, and the Seals around game five and did pretty much the same thing. You know, I, As you mentioned, in game four, Seals were down one nothing late in the second period. And this is an American team that, I, if uh, memory served, I think it was 26-6-1 and when they scored first in the regular season. They beat they closed down games pretty well. Um, but maybe it's maybe it's a matter of blissful ignorance when you're down 3 nothing and you really have no expectations the rest of the way. Yeah, that, that, more than anything else, helps you focus in on the here and now. And, and Neil Graham said something that I thought was a fascinating way of uh, conceptualizing it. Before game four, I asked him, you know, what's the mindset for the guys? Is It's patience. It's not looking too far ahead. It's the understanding that if we're going to win, if we're going to come back in this series, we're going to be playing until Wednesday. We're going to be playing until Game 7. So we have nothing but time. We're in no rush. We have have all the time in the world to figure out any problem, whether it be game to game or whether it's within a game. If we're behind one nothing, all right, guys, be patient. Our intention is to play for another week, so you might as well just have a a calm, clear mind, and, and we'll figure out these problems as we go. And uh, we saw that. They overcame a one nothing deficit in Game 4. They overcame a one nothing deficit in Game 5. Uh, and once this series got back to Idaho, I think that was when the Allen Americans probably realized that they maybe let the Tiger out of the cage and uh, allowed the Steelers to grow a little bolder than, uh, than they'd be able to handle. And after Game 6, the, uh, the Steelers, I think, was when they finally truly found their legs in this series for the first time and uh, 
game game seven was not not, not a self fulfilling prophecy, but it was a steelhead team that finally felt like they were playing the kind of hockey they expected to at the start of the series. Speaking of that and playing the way that they expected to, did you notice any real big changes or adjustments from the first three losses to the ending four wins? Yeah, yeah, there was. Um, when you looked at the first three games, you saw an Allen team that was playing very reserved, very conservative, uh, low risk, and and I don't mean that in a uh, in a way as to call them boring. They're being very smart. Uh, very few teams this year have wanted to get into the situation of having to to have a track meet with the Steelheads. It's just the way the Steelheads are built for speed and skill. You know, the the more open the ice is, the better. And the Americans clog things up very well. In Game Four, I don't know why, but I saw from the Americans' uh, perspective again. This is my my eye test. I saw them get wrapped up into more of the extracurriculars that they did in games one, uh, one through three. Uh, the return of Jefferson Dahl to the lineup from AHL Cleveland might have had something to do with that, but they were a little looser, a little bit more spread out, a little bit more susceptible to errors. On the flip side, the first three games of the series, while the Americans were being very, very responsible, the Steelheads were overextending themselves. They were trying to force things that weren't there because they're used to being able to get up and gallop and, and play in open space and, and make it a vertical hockey game. They weren't able to do that. And in trying to force that issue, they were giving up more odd man rushes than they gave up in the last three weeks combined. They, the, the Americans were very much a, uh, a weight back and counterpunch team, and it suited them well. And really in game four, it just seemed like a role reversal. The Steelers really, again, came back to themselves and were patient and, Again, that, that long-range thinking of, hey, if we're going to win, we're going to have to wait till next Wednesday to do it anyway, probably helped them, probably helped them be a much more patient hockey team, whereas the Allen Americans kind of lost that part of their personality. And I was very surprised to see that, uh, especially with the Allen Americans having uh, you know, four games to, to close out the series, that they would deviate from what they were trying to do. But, again, probably a lot of that has to do with the fact that the Steelheads weren't uh, – weren't going outside their character so much and weren't giving the Americans those counterpunch opportunities anymore. You and I actually texted back and forth during the day before Game 7 and talking about what we mm-hmm. expected and that kind of low-scoring overtime game. And I was trying to follow your game along with watching the end of the Boston-Toronto Game 7 up in the NHL for obvious reasons there. But early on, you guys went one nothing in the first period, 2 nothing in the second period. And it definitely, at least from watching it from my perspective, kind of felt like one of those carefully played games where wasn't going to be high-scoring then. Allen makes it 2-1 in the third. What was your feel as Game 7 went along? Yeah, you know, I, I think it was one of the one of those games where the Steelers scored first, and that was important. And they scored first in Game 6 also. Those are the only two games in the entire series where they scored first. But in the playoffs, when you get on the board first, that's not the be-all, end-all, but it definitely does help you dictate the pace of the game and how it's going to be played. And, and that allowed the Steelheads uh, scoring midway through the first period. Brady Broussard gets them on the board. They're able to now dictate a much more conservative pace of play. They were doing a very good job in the neutral zone. This was an All-American team that had a hard time advancing the puck. Uh, David Mikowski was very strong all series long. But you look at some of the other big names on this Allen roster. Casey Piero Zabatel had two goals in game two, didn't do anything else the rest of the series. Brian Moore had a goal in the first game of the series, didn't do anything else. Spencer Asichuk was pretty quiet. So the Steelers did a very good job gumming up the middle of the ice and, and keeping some of those big names quiet. And I think scoring first uh, had a lot to do with that. 
Um, having said that, it had a, a low-scoring game. Jake Patterson played well. The Americans played pretty well defensively as well. They just really paid dearly for the turnovers in their own zone. They did commit. But this was one of those games where even though you have a 2 nothing lead and then midway through the first, it was a 2-1 lead. Uh, midway through the third period, it was a 2-1 lead. It's playoff hockey, and you know this, DJ. Playoff hockey, the most likely goal that goes in is going to rattle off three shin guards and roll over the line. It's not going to be a two-on-one beauty. Um, and that was the goal that Allen scored midway through the third period. It hit Zach Pacero in the middle of a back and, and deflected off the post. So even late in that third that third period, I think where the Steelheads were mentally was we're doing everything right. We're playing a good, sound defensive game. We've built a lead that we can protect. But be mindful of the fact that any mistake in your own zone might rattle off three shin guards and go in. And, and late in that third period, Billy Ferrosier had to make a, a lunging save with his right pad on Spencer Astachuk on the doorstep. And uh, despite the fact that last night the Steelers was a very thorough and sound Game 7 performance, you know, it was still about two or three feet away from being an overtime game perhaps. And uh, that's, that's just playoff hockey. The best laid plans usually – are uh, done away with by a wacky bouncer deflection, and you always have to be defending against that. Naylor fans can relate to that well. Riley Brace's Game 7 overtime goal against Reading was stuck under Todd Perry's leg. He moved forward, he booted it, and Brace was there to tap mm-hmm. it in on the doorstep. For you guys beating Allen, that was the team that beat you in Game 7 two years ago. Next up you have yep. Colorado, who beat you in the first round last year. Is there something to be said about that revenge aspect that maybe fuels the team even more or fueled the team in the first round against Idaho and will do it against Colorado? I don't know if it was a revenge factor uh, in as it pertains to the, the postseason uh, series. That's a good question because there are plenty of players on this roster still that carry over to those postseason games. You know, Jefferson Dahl, Philly DeRozzi were here. Uh, two years ago, as was Corbin Baldwin, and there's a, even more guys who were here for last year against Colorado. But um, I, I think in not living in the North Division, South Division, I, I can't be sure what the day-to-day uh, interactions are, are like, but I do feel like there's a rough-and-tumble bad blood between a lot of the teams in the, in the Mountain Division. That It's just a very heavy game, and people comment often enough uh, how high the penalty minute totals are for all the teams out in the Mountain Division. There, there's a reason why. There's a lot of teams playing a heavy game, and there is, I think, a, a healthy distaste for one another. So, you know, it, it has. it's not unusual to see uh, a brawl or a stare down at the end of a Steelheads-Eagles game. It's not unusual for... Uh, there to be pushing and shoving, and then, you know, a, a Spencer Astrochuk against Jefferson Dahl scenario at the end of a, a Steelhead Allen Americans game. That, that bad blood, I think, exists in the regular season just as much as in the playoffs. I don't think that there's going to necessarily be uh, a revenge factor for last spring that's fresh in the Steelhead's mind. I'm sure they're aware of it. Um, but I, I think it would be more the, the bad blood and the feistiness that developed between these two teams when they played. Uh, nine times in a span of 12 games in late January, early February. That was a, a playoff series feel in the middle of the season. Um, and from that, uh, you had two teams that battled for three weeks. And at the time, we're also racing for the top spot in the division together as well. So that, that bad blood, that anger, that animosity is manifested then, and I, I think it still exists. I'm glad that you brought up that Mountain Division feel because we here in Wheeling saw exactly zero Mountain Division teams over the course of the 17-18 season. And it brings Mm -hmm. up a thought in my head because without seeing them, 
I, it makes me wonder. And we go back to previous champions. Colorado won the Kelly Cup last year. They're a mountain team. Allen won it the two years before that. They're a mountain team. Alaska won it the year before that. They're a mountain team. Does that rough and tumble physical style benefit your mountain division teams in the long run and in the playoffs? You know, I think it, it could, and uh, I'll, I'll add this as well because Steelhead fans know it to be true. You had Allen in 2016, Colorado 2017, Alaska in 2014. All of them went through the Steelheads to, to go on to win. So if you beat the Steelheads in the playoffs, you're sitting pretty. But I, I do think there is a, uh, a rough and tumbleness. It almost reminds me a little bit of maybe you go back to the NHL as a copycat league. You remember 10 years ago when you had the, the – uh, or a little longer than 10 years ago now, but the Anaheim Ducks won the Stanley Cup, and that was a big, heavy, bruising Western Conference style, and everybody had to copy that. And now we've fast-forwarded 10 years, and we're all looking for the, the quick fleet of foot, run-and-gun speed style of you know what the Penguins can develop. I think that there is a, a heaviness out here, but I also think it's just the fact that all these teams play each other so much. And, you know, every team in the ECHL faces a divisional heavy schedule, but I think there's more hopping around in the North Division and the South Division. You, you're on the bus, and you'll, you'll see three teams in a week. When the Steelheads and Colorado Eagles play each other, they play each other three times in four days, and then they get out of town. And by Saturday, if you didn't hate a team by Wednesday, by Saturday you found a reason. And if you hated a team already by Wednesday, by Saturday you're, you're looking for, for three-on-three line brawls that you can square up. And I'm, I'm painting a Wild West picture. It's an exaggeration. <laughs> But that is the way these teams are built in the West. They know that whatever works in the regular season, by the time you get to the playoffs, you better have some snarl. You better have some feistiness. You better have some meanness. And I don't think there's any uh, coincidence that the Steelheads made their biggest move at the trade deadline. They brought in Jack Nevins because they knew they could score. They knew they had speed. They knew they had Zach Bell to add some, uh, some feistiness. But they weren't sure it was enough. And they knew when they faced a Colorado team, for example, that has a Tegan Zahn or, you know, or a Jesse Mitchin type, guys who can score, but guys who can also impose their will physically, you need to have something to fight back with. And that's where Jack Nevins came in. And, of course, Jack Nevins can put up some points of his own. So I, I think there's something to that. I, I don't think it's just the, the penalty minutes or that snarl that makes all the difference because I think for Colorado, if, you know, if they're going to go on the win a Kelly Cup again, yes, you know, the Tegan Zahn types will have a lot to do with it, but the Michael Jolie's and uh, Matt Garbowski types will have more to do with it. There has to be a mix, but I think, I think the meanness and the animosity just has a lot to do with seeing each other over and over and over again and basically taking two teams that are, are usually good teams in this division, it's usually a fairly strong division, and putting them in a particle accelerator for a span of you know 72 to 96 hours. I cannot wait to tune in to watch the Colorado Eagles and the Idaho Steelheads beat the living snot out of each other, and maybe one of you, well, one of you has to, maybe we'll get a chance to see you in a Toledo or a Fort Wayne come the Western Conference Final. Brian, thank you so much for spending a few minutes with me. Soak in what you guys did because that's more than an accomplishment and a good luck, and I hope you get a chance to do something even more special later on in the spring. DJ, I appreciate it, and you know this well. The, the action on the ice, what happens, happens. All we get to do is be uh, glorified spectators and hope we put on a good show. So I hope I get that chance because that'll mean I get to watch some pretty good hockey. 
Again, we want to thank the voice of the Idaho Steelheads, Brian McCormick, for spending a few minutes with us today. You think back to how exciting and dramatic it was a couple of years ago with the Nailers winning the Game 7 at home against Redding in overtime and then winning Game 7 against South Carolina and just the roller coaster ride that it must have been for the Steelheads going from down 0-3 to ultimately winning a seven-game series. Just incredible to think about. Don't forget, coming up in just a few minutes, we'll be talking with a former Naylor and now a player for the Toledo Walleye, Christian Hilbrick, who was tied for the most goals in the first round of the Kelly Cup playoffs so far this spring. Let's talk now about the second round of the playoffs. And boy, in the ECHL, it sure feels like it's a rivalry round as all four series have recent histories. And that's awesome. Adirondack and Manchester out of the north, they're playing for the third year in a row. But this is the first time that the matchup will take place in the second round. It was an opening round match in each of the last two years as the Thunder were victorious in 2016. Manchester was the winner last year as the Monarchs went all the way to the Eastern Conference Final before losing Game 7 at home to the South Carolina Stingrays. Then you have the Florida Everblades and the Orlando Solar Bears. They're battling it out for the third time in four years. Florida won in six games in 2015 and then in 2017 erasing a three 3-1 series deficit and defeating the Solar Bears in seven. So uh, Florida has had the significant upper hand all time against Orlando, and we'll see if that holds true again for the Brabham Cup champion Blades. The Showcase Series, which we're going to talk again with Christian Hilbrick about shortly. Toledo and Fort Wayne, who are going at it for the third time in four years. Toledo won both of the previous two series. The Walleye won in seven games in 2015, and then in a much quicker five games in 2017. The Comets have a very, very hard time winning at Huntington Center when it comes time for the playoffs. Then you have Colorado and Idaho, and that goes for the second straight year as the Eagles beat the Steelheads in the playoffs for the first time in the first round last year. It would also be the fourth time in six years. A couple of fun notes about Colorado and Idaho. As they played last year, Colorado put together one of the most incredible comebacks late in the third period and ultimately rallied into overtime to beat Idaho last year. But the Eagles and the Steelheads also orchestrated the longest game in ECHL history. Back on April 28, 2014, when David DiCastroza scored at the 17-18 mark of quadruple overtime to send the Steelheads over the Colorado Eagles 3-2. That is one of four games in ECHL history that has gone into quadruple overtime. Greenville and... Louisiana did it in 2000, Gwinnett and South Carolina in 2012, and Trenton against Elmira in 2009 as the winners of those were Greenville, South Carolina, and Elmira. So a little bit of history there as Colorado and Idaho will renew their rivalry in the Kelly Cup playoffs. Speaking of rivalries, you can't overlook what you have coming up in the National Hockey League for the 11th time all since 1991 and the third year in a row. It's Penguins and Capitals, and it always seems lately to land in round number two. It's the fourth time that the Pens and Caps face off against each other in the Crosby-Ovechkin era, so that's since the 2004-2005 lockout. And in the previous 10 series head-to-head, -head, it's been a significant 
second advantage for the Penguins, who have won nine of the previous ten series. Out of that, I want to go into a little bit more in depth about why this is a good format because I've heard a lot of people ask me, hey, do you like the current format with the playoffs where you have to come out of your division, or would you like it better if it's the old conference style where it's one versus eight, two versus seven, et cetera, et cetera. It's a little bit different in the NHL compared to the ECHL because the NHL has that little switch in there, which is the wild card system. So in a case like Wheeling in the ECHL, the Nailers would have been able to get in the playoffs this year had it been the NHL format. They would have been the eight seed. However, the disadvantage to that in Wheeling's scenario, in which the ECHL doesn't have as many resources as they do in the NHL, is that Wheeling would have been stuck with a first-round series against the Florida Everblades, which you put two and two together there, not having to do with anything on the ice, but you think about costs, and this is a business, and a first-round series against Florida, as much as I would have enjoyed that personally, it just doesn't make sense from a league standpoint to put some matchups that are so far separated geographically. I know we did it two years ago, but that's why you go for the division format the way it is. And also, you have to look at it from a rivalry standpoint. It's awesome. I think that's the biggest key in this whole thing. And you look at all four of the series that we have in the ECHL. They all have histories against each other. And I think that builds excitement and energy out of the fans. Ask people from Toledo and Fort Wayne. And now they are in that reputation and they know when the teams are playing each other. And they can pretty much bank on any time there's a game in either venue that it's going to be sold out or there's going to be at least a very big crowd in there to be able to watch it and enjoy it. And then you have a chance to build on it the next year. Okay, either you win or you lose. But the first time that team comes into town, okay, hey, it's a big stage. I remember back when Wheeling got eliminated by Greenville in 2014. Their return trip that following November, everybody had it circled on their calendar. And the Nailers knocked Greenville right out that next game. Same with 2015. Nailers got knocked out in Game 7 overtime by Toledo. Toledo's first trip into town in 2015-16. Everybody had it circled on their calendar. And the Nailers, once again, they put together a good showing on home ice. It builds that excitement when you go off of the playoff series. And unfortunately for Wheeling, that hasn't happened lately as they have still yet to play three out of the four teams that they saw en route to their Kelly Cup Finals appearance in 2016. We haven't seen Florida since the 16 playoffs. We haven't seen South Carolina since the 16 playoffs. And we haven't seen Allen since the 16 playoffs. And another thing that hurts that as well for Wheeling's ability to develop rivalries, or try to at least, is that the Nailers have been in seven different divisions in the last 11 years. They started out in 2010-2011 playing with the Cincinnati's, the Toledo's, the Kalamazoo's. Then the next year, they get stuck with Elmira and Redding and Trenton. Then you had a stretch there, 14-15, where they moved them back into the Central when Indy came in and Fort Wayne came in, and you had Evansville there as well for a couple of seasons. But that format only lasted one year before 15-16, and you got cluttered around with Toledo and Brampton and Kalamazoo. And now the last two years, it's been in the north with the Adirondacks of the world and still with Brampton, but back with Reading, Manchester, Worcester this year. So very, very hard to develop some consistent rivalries. And hopefully now that Wheeling's back in the Central, back playing teams that are within 
reasonable driving distances, Cincy, Toledo, Fort Wayne, Indy, Kalamazoo, that you'll start to get those rivalries building back up again. And, of course, playoff series would certainly make that better, too. One more thought on that format, and you look at the NHL, too, and how it would have staged itself. And I think Penguins-Flyers, as your first-round series with the rivalry there, would have been a lot better than the alternative. And you have to think of it, too, in a way where the top two teams are probably going to stay the same because you want to reward your division champions. So Tampa would have stayed as a top seed, and Washington would have stayed as number two, even though Boston finished with more points in the regular season than the Capitals. You still give the Caps credit for being able to win their division. So what you would have seen change would have been your three, four, five, and six. And what's going to sell better? You would have had the Penguins taking on the Maple Leafs and the Bruins playing the Flyers. No, you want the Bruins and the Leafs and you want the Pens and the Flyers beating each other to death and whoever survives gets out of it. It it works better. It makes for a more entertaining product. And even now you look at it, Tampa's got Boston, Washington's got Pittsburgh, and Had it been flip-flopped the other way, then Boston would have been playing Washington and Pittsburgh would have been playing Tampa Bay. And I think the Washington-Pittsburgh one is certainly the one that gets more people's attention, at least uh, for this year, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So I, I do think that there are certainly advantages to why the current format works the way that it does. Before we move on and talk with former Naylor Christian Hilbrick, we're going to talk about Where are they now? And some players who played out of the Alps Hockey League in Europe this season. Some players of note, Patrick Killeen, who reached the league final out there with a team called Rittner Blom, and he also led the league in goals against average. Killeen was here in 2010-11, 11-12, and briefly in 2012-13. We also have Riley Brace and Zach Torquato playing in the Alps Hockey League. We Last saw both of those two in the 15-16 finals run. They were teammates this year on SG Cortina Half Row, and they actually both finished in the top 10 in league scoring as Brace finished third and Torquato finished seventh. And then a couple of other former Nailers, Jason DeSantis and Peter Lennis, also played in the Alps Hockey League this season. So a chance for us to follow players and where they are now. Joining us now on the Toolbox is a former member of the Wheeling Nailers who is coming off of a terrific first-round playoff series for the Toledo Walleye. In fact, he leads the ECHL with five first-round playoff goals. It is Christian Hilbrick. And Christian, thanks so much for taking a few minutes with me today. How's your first pro hockey playoff experience treating you so far? Well, it's it's, it's gone pretty well. Four games, four wins, and uh as a team we've been phenomenal individually it's been fantastic as well uh the excitement of playing in the playoffs uh, is a huge factor you know towards the end of the season uh teams will kind of go into that mode where you know we're just kind of we're playing the games out our our playoff position is set we're in the playoffs you know there's uh there's not much shaking around that's going to be going on with who we're going to be playing uh, we probably know who we're going to be, be playing in the in the second round. Um, so at this point, we just got to prepare uh, for the playoffs. And then that first game, you know, game one in our building, uh, is just so exciting to play. Um, 
in our building. And then on top of that, uh, fantastic to play in the, in the playoffs, you know, my, my first professional experience and, and to play in a building like that in front of fans like they are in Toledo. It's, it's incredible. It's kind of funny how with your career, things are starting to almost bring back the memories where you played your junior hockey days in Indianapolis. You scored your first professional goal last year with the Nailers in Indianapolis, and then your first ever playoff series win, you get the series winning goal in Indianapolis. What is it about you that know, city and you? I, sorry, what was that? I said, what is it about that city and you? I I don't know. Uh, there's there's certainly a few familiar faces in the, fan, in the stands for me. You know, I had uh, two billet families when I was in Indy, and uh, they were phenomenal people, and we keep in contact uh, throughout all of my years at college at Cornell, and then uh, lucky enough to to play there a few times uh, this year. And I want to say last year we we may or may not have gone to Indy um, with with the Nailers, but it's it's awesome to be playing in front of familiar faces, and you know, in a town that's not far from my hometown of Chicago, uh, where my parents can come down. It's it's an awesome atmosphere to uh, to play well, so it's it's great that I do. That game four overtime winner, that's certainly something that has to be very special for you. It ended the series. So what was that experience like, being able to score such a big goal and to put the punctuation mark and lead your team onto the ice in a huge celebration like that? Oh, wow, DJ. I was, I was so tired at the time, but I was – I was so elated that the puck had gone in. And so uh, I, it was a three on two rush and I got the, I got the puck back as a high guy and I had a little extra space um, as we were entering the zone. And I figured I was going to take the shot. Um, and I, uh, I knew that the guy was going to be going down to block. And so I would have to go far side and I just kind of let it rip. And, and when I, I heard the bar hit the elbow, you know, it's that different sound from when it hits the post. And, and, I, and I didn't see it pop out of the net, so I knew it had gone in the net. And, wow, it was an incredible feeling. You know, it, on, you know any, any overtime goal is huge, um, and it's exciting. You know, I can think of a, a fantastic overtime goal I scored uh, in Wheeling against Toledo. We won 7-6 to six that game, and, and I had thrown my gloves off after that one because I was so excited you know it was such a passionate game um, where teams were just battling back and forth that was in this game it was seven to six was the final score and uh, similar to that game uh, this game four overtime winner um, was a back and forth game and uh, it came down to you know and this happened to be in double overtime instead of those five minute overtimes that happened in, in uh, the regular season and and you feel a lot of relief when you get to end the game and everybody gets to go off the ice after about 100 minutes of straight hockey. So it felt pretty amazing. In case that emotion wasn't enough in round one, now you're going to be lined up against the Fort Wayne Comets in round two. And while it's your first year in Toledo, how quickly have you realized the rivalry and the dislike between the Walleye and the Comets and just how intense this second round series is going to be? Yeah, I mean, every time we would play Fort Wayne this year, uh, they would post record crowds. Uh, and every time we would play them here, uh, we would do the same. So it's it's clear that the community rallies around this rivalry. 
Um, and the teams do as well. You know, we, you know, we give Fort Wayne our best every game and, and they do the same. Um, you know, it, it's always kind of been the two top teams in the area and, and in the division, I think for the last, uh, three of the four years we've, we've met in the, uh, in the conference or in the division final here. So it's, uh, there's certainly some story to the, to the rivalry and it's exciting for me to get to experience that. Fort Wayne did get the better of you in six of eight during the regular season, but you wiped the slate clean, 0-0. What did you learn from the regular season that could give you guys an advantage against them in the second round? Well, I mean, playing a team eight times, the uh, you, you learn a lot about the team. But uh, the thing about our the way that these games were played, I want to say at the beginning of the year, we probably played six of the eight of these games. Um you know, before the first half of the year. And so there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, chemistry that hasn't been built. Uh, teams are different teams in the first half of the year than they are in the second half of the year. And uh, it's, it's exciting. I think I want to say we split with them uh, in the, the second half of the year. And, and so we're going in, you know, expecting to win. And um, it'll be exciting to, to watch the series play out. Fun opportunity for the Nailers next season. We'll be your division rival as Wheeling goes from the Eastern Conference in the North Division to the Western Conference in the Central Division. And like you alluded to, Toledo and Fort Wayne, this is back-to-back years in three out of four that they're meeting after finishing 1-2 in the standings. You look at that and you see juggernauts there. So what do you think Wheeling will have to do next year when it moves into the Central? What should the focal point be to be competitive, not only to make the playoffs, but to also compete with you guys and the Comets for the top two spots in the group? Well, I always dreaded playing Wheeling this year because Wheeling has always been a team that can score on command, you know, and um, it was the same way when I was there. We, I want to say we had three or four or five, even uh, 50 point scores in, in, uh, in the season last year. And it was very similar this year, you know, guys like to put the puck in the net there and, and uh, there's a ton of talent. Um, it's just making sure that everybody's on the same page defensively. And I think that's one of the, the biggest differences I noticed uh, playing in Toledo this year, the, the team defense, um, it, once everybody's on the same page, you know, you get it that way at the beginning of the year. And it's, you know, it's in the back of your mind every time you're, you're cheating for offense um, and giving up uh, offensive opportunities for the other team. And so for, for wheeling next year, um, I think if everybody gets on the same page defensively, um, offense will take care of itself like it has been in the past. Very good. Christian, thanks so much again for spending a few minutes with me today. It's uh, been great to see how much success you've had this season, that first-round series against Indy, you guys, and you individually were outstanding. And best of luck against Fort Wayne. Hopefully you're headed to the conference final in a couple of weeks. Thank you very much, Deed. It's, it's always a pleasure. And uh, once a nailer, always a nailer. So happy that's that. Like Christian Hilbrick said, once an ailer, always an ailer. And we do thank Christian very much for spending a few minutes with us as he and the Toledo Walleye get set for their big Central Division final showdown with the Fort Wayne Comets. 
Don't forget, you can follow all of the former Nailers as they chase either the Kelly Cup, the Calder Cup, or the Stanley Cup by going to the 2018 Playoff Tracker on our website, wheelingnailers.com. And that's also where you go to get information on season tickets for the 2018-19 season of Wheeling Nailers Hockey. This has been edition number two of the Toolbox. We'll talk to you next week. Happy hockey watching.